us and a question that God asked those in the Bible. And so this week we're going to be looking at a question that God asks Jonah, and it's the title of the message, and it's the question all wrapped up into one. The question is this, is it good that you are angry? Is it good that you are angry? Now, we don't often think of the word anger and good in the same sentence. I mean, that's just like Christianity 101, right? Like, that's growing up in church 101. Anger and good, those two don't go together, right? Like, how in the world could they go together? However, I do believe that if you do a little bit of a deep dive into what is anger, you're going to find something different than what some of us may think anger is. You see, anger is an emotion. We can agree on it. Anger is something that you feel. You feel it deep inside your bones. Have you ever been really angry before? You know it. Have you ever been so angry your skin got hot? Oh man, I've been angry before where my skin got so hot and literally my face was burning and tears were coming out. I remember as a kid, I started crying once I got so angry, right? And I got so warm skin and the tears were bursting. I didn't even want to cry. Well, why was it happening? Because I was experiencing a a serious uh, emotion of anger. The American Psychological Association, known as the APA, defines anger like this. Anger is an emotion characterized by antagonism towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you wrong. Now, the APA can have their definition, but I think that the definition of anger goes a little bit deeper because I don't believe anger is just an emotion. I believe anger is actually a God-given emotion. Look it up in Scripture, man. God experiences anger. God gets angry. I mean, you can go back into the Old Testament, and you can see cases in Kings where, I believe in, it was First uh, Kings or Second Kings 11, God uh, is angry at Solomon, right? You can go back and read the story of God and the children of Israel. God gets angry. Go to the New Testament. Jesus gets angry. He tosses a bunch of people out of the house of God out with an emotion of anger, uh, but he does so. God always does so in a perfectly righteous manner because God is perfect, so the emotions that he has are done so in perfection. We don't get it, right? After the fall, yes, are we created in God's image? Yes, we carry the blueprint of God's image. However, we also carry this Uh, tarnishment to that, this tainting uh, characteristic of sin that taints that perfect blueprint so we do not experience that blueprint in perfection as God does. Everybody tracking? So when God experiences anger, he does so perfectly. Jesus, when he experienced anger, he did so perfectly. Think of a comment that Jesus made in the Gospels when he said, if anybody harms one of these children, it's better that he go out and have a millstone tied about his neck and he drowns in the depths of the sea. Sound a little bit aggressive and angry maybe? However, it is a righteous anger towards someone who is harming an innocent child. The perfection of God's anger is something we can't wrap our minds around, but we can wrap our minds around this. Anger is a God-given emotion that is not always fleshly or toxic. However, in Jonah chapter 4, we actually see this even further displayed that there are two different kinds of anger. We're going to do a little word study here this morning. Are you in Jonah chapter 4? Jonah 4.1 says this, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. We're coming back to that because displeased exceedingly is all one word, okay? So we're coming back to that. And he was angry 
We're coming back to that word, angry. Now if you drop down to verse 4, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Another way that you could ask that is, is it good that you're angry? Now, the reason we want to do a word study here is because even in this passage, we see this displayed that there are two different types of anger. The anger of man, the anger of the flesh, and the anger of righteousness, or the anger of God. There in verse 1, when it says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Another way that you could read that is, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. That word displeased there, it's a verb actually, to be displeased. And it's the Hebrew verb kara, to be, um, excuse me, it's not kara, that's for anger. It's raha, to be bad, to be evil, to be displeasing, to be wicked. It's this idea of a negative anger, and then yes, angry, the word kara, is translated to be hot, furious, to burn, to become angry, to be kindled, giving the picture of a fire. Like we said earlier, when your skin gets hot, Right? And you're burning with anger. But this, this anger, this kara, this anger is defined in verse 1 with the negative word ra, to be bad, to be evil, to be wicked. This is a negative anger. Jonah was displeased and he was angry. It was a negative anger. You go down to verse 4 though and it says, do you do well to be angry? Here's the Hebrew word, yata, to be good, to be pleasing, to be well, to be glad. Hey, Jonah, is it a good thing right now that you're angry? You need to think about the emotion that you're feeling because the emotion is not neutral. It's either good or bad. Which kind are you experiencing, Jonah? And I think the question here today to you and to myself is this. Is it good if we're angry? You might be angry right now. You see, there's two different types of anger, right? You got acute anger, and then you got chronic anger, right? You got the fit of rage that happens when something happens. You bump your toe, and then you have to confess because you said a bad word, right? And don't laugh because you know that some of you do that, okay? Don't be all pious here in church. So you have the acute anger, and then you have the chronic anger, Someone hurt you a long time ago and you found it very hard to let go of that and so the anger just sits on your soul and it burns and it continues to hurt and you're angry. Is it good that you're angry? That's the question we're asking this morning. We've already, just, we've already looked and seen what anger is. We don't need to, dis, to explore it any deeper. We understand it. But the main idea of the sermon this morning is this. You can write this down if you're trying to have a takeaway thought. What is the takeaway thought? It's this. The anger of man. It's a key word. The anger of man never accomplishes the righteousness of God. Now that's a quote from scripture, James 1.20. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Right there over the verse before that, James gets done counseling them, be quick to listen, right? Be slow to speak and be slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man, this this anger that is fleshly, this imperfect anger that you and I experience, not the anger of God, not a righteous anger, this anger that you and I have made our own, this fleshly anger It does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Too often, anger does more damage than good. And anger can, and many times often does, lead to poor choices. I remember back in high school, I was uh, about the same height I am now. I stopped growing when I was about like a junior in high school. So I like peaked early and everybody thought I was going to be like this huge person. I still got a little bit of height, but I never like maximized my potential, right? And so I remember when I was like a sophomore in high school, I loved baseball, loved baseball, enjoyed baseball. I um, literally had this book on how to be a better pitcher and uh, like the thrower, right? Not like the drink picture, the thrower, right? The pitcher who throws the ball. If you don't know what I'm talking about baseball, you throw the ball and then you hit it, okay? I like throwing the ball, all right? And I had this book, and I literally, when I was a kid, before the age of 12, I would read through this book every night before I went to bed. I don't know how many times I read it through, but I literally had every diagram memorized. I had every idea. Uh, It was just soaked in. I, I really enjoyed baseball. But when I got to be tall, everybody was like, hey, you're tall. You should play basketball. So guess what I did? Like a, uh, like a people pleaser that I am, I didn't stick with what I enjoyed and what I knew. I decided I'm going to go and play basketball because that's what everybody says I should do. Same reason why I quit playing the trumpet when I was about like 11 or 12 and wish I hadn't, okay? So moral of the story is, those of you who are younger, don't quit when somebody else tells you to. Quit only when you find out that you need to, okay? Stick with the stuff because it'll be great in later life. Anyway, uh, so I switched over to basketball. Junior year, I um, got onto a, uh, I was homeschooled, but there was a local homeschool club team uh, that went around and played uh, Christian schools, private schools, and uh, a bunch of different places like that. And I went and tried out, made it on the team, and it was like, yeah, this is great. But I was a junior in high school, and you're playing varsity level basketball And this was my first year playing, okay? So if you get the picture, there's a lot of stuff that you have to learn in a short amount of time. So the first part of the year did not go the best. However, by the middle of the year, I had worked myself into the rotation. I had a solid backup role. I would always get guaranteed playing time. And I had kind of started to mesh with the team and learn a little bit about basketball. And so we went on the road to play down in Hurt, Virginia. Anybody know where Hurt, Virginia is? It's down on the other side of Alta Vista in the middle of nowhere. And there's a random private Christian school down there. And I don't know where all the kids come from, uh, but they do. And they always had a decent team. They always had this team where the rest of the guys on the team were average. And they always had this one kid who was just like always insane at basketball. And I don't know how they always got that one kid, but it was always like that. And so we went down and we went down on a road trip and we had a night game, okay? Night games are exciting. You've been amped up all day, and you've been taking your pregame Gatorade workout stuff, and you're all amped up, and you all are in the locker room, and you're, uh, you're a bunch of teenage guys, and you're all screaming and amped up, and it's awesome, okay? So we went out on the court, and uh, I finally got to go into the game, and we were building momentum. Now, how many of you all know in sports, momentum is like one of the biggest keys to winning a game? Uh, there can be times where talent just makes it impossible to win. But momentum is what can overcome disparity in talent. Momentum shifted our way, man. We had been down by like 10 the whole game. We started to bring it back. We got a stop or two, scored a few baskets. And we were within a couple of points here. And I got to go into the game. And I was like, okay, man, we are finally making progress here. This is like going to be time to shine. We're going to show the coach why he should have placed his faith in me long ago. And we're going to prove to him that it is the time to be here. First year me. So I get in. 
And we start making some runs. We're doing good. And our point guard, Taylor, um, is out on the top of the key. And uh, he's a shorter guy, but he was like super fast. And there was a turnover, which means we gave the ball back to the team who's playing defense, okay? If you don't know basketball. And so they got the ball. They start racing to the other end. And Taylor is off like a lightning streak, man. I'm telling you. Kid is like off. And all of a sudden, he went airborne, and I'm, I'm right behind Taylor watching this, and there's the kid with the ball trying to score. Taylor is playing defense, and I'm running right behind him, and Taylor goes airborne, man. Now, I'm telling you, I don't know if I've ever seen someone who was shorter get that much air before, but Taylor was levitating. He was flying in the air, man. He was way above the play, and he came down, and he blocked that ball way, way out, out into the stands, completely clean because he was above the player, so there's no way he could have fouled him because he wasn't like with him. He was like three feet above him, and the ref blew the foul whistle. Now, this is a close game. Emotions are high. We are like within a basket. This is a big deal. Now, it was not a foul, okay? We'll just go on record saying right now, it was not a foul, okay? But anyway, the ball is going back towards half court. So I pick up the ball, and remember, emotions are high. And so I simply go like this. The ball bounces up, and I catch it about right here, okay? It was a little high. I bounced it a little hard, but I did catch it. I did not bounce it into the ceiling, did not go uncontrolled, did not start screaming, did not do anything else. I picked it up, boom, caught it about right here. And then all of a sudden there's another whistle, and I get whistled for a technical foul for bouncing the ball. Now, at this point, I become just enraged because I'm like, Taylor's over here arguing his case. He's like, hey, how is that a foul? And our coach is enraged because he's like, there was no foul. And then I'm enraged because I was like, how is this a technical foul when I caught the ball and I didn't even bounce it in the ceiling or do anything uncontrolled? And all of us are angry. I get pulled out of the game. Taylor gets pulled out of the game. And I become so angry that I could not get over it the rest of the game. And I got benched for the rest of the game because my coach could tell that my attitude was so angry that he knew he, there was no way he was sending me back into that game. Now, that's a funny little story about how anger affected a basketball game my junior year. None of that matters. What matters in life, though, is how anger, the consequences of our anger, affect our everyday life and the life that we're living. That's a game. That game has no effect on my life and what I do right now. It has no effect on my marriage, no effect on my family. That game was a game. Anger can play a big part, though, in our lives, can it? It can ruin relationships. It can lead us uh, down paths that we never thought. It's an interesting study, actually, if you study the effects of anger on crime. The crimes of passion, right? So-and-so hurt me, so I will hurt them. IBM uh, Watson and NPR, they did a health poll back in 2019 and they found that some 84% of people surveyed said Americans are angrier today compared with a generation ago. Out of that 84%, 42% of those polled said that they themselves were angrier in the past year than they had been at any time in their life. In fact, Dr. Anil Jain, the Vice President and Chief Officer of Health at IBM Watson Health, said, I think of anger as a health risk. 
Now, I'm here to tell you, anger can harm your health. There's studies done between how, like, uh, somebody who's angry, it can wear you down and the stress that that puts on you. But anger can do so much more than cause physical harm. Anger can cause you to lose a job. Anger, yes, can be a health risk. Anger can ruin relationships. Anger can pose great spiritual harm and do eternal damage when uncontrolled. So then how this morning do we deal with this emotion of anger? And how do we answer the question specifically, is it good that you're angry? This morning, in order to answer answer a question, we're going to ask questions, okay? Uh, We're going to do the classic, ask a question to answer a question, okay? But I believe if we answer these three questions, we can answer the overarching question, is it good that you're angry or that I'm angry? I believe if we answer each one of these questions for ourselves, that we can truly answer that question. Question number one is this. What is the foundation of your anger? What is the foundation of of your anger. Jonah 4, 1 says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. A couple years ago, we actually did a study through Jonah during, I think it was COVID summer, um, in the chapel. Was anybody a part of that study on Jonah? I think a few of you were, I think. So some of you might know the story of Jonah, but just in case you don't, here's what's going on. Jonah's a prophet. God calls Jonah and says, Jonah, you need to go to Nineveh and prophesy the impending doom and judgment for their unrighteous deeds to them. It will be coming from me. Go tell them. Jonah says, hey, I'll go. But then what does he do? Boom, he runs down, gets on a different ship, flees the complete opposite way. It's not like he was trying to go to a different, like, uh, it's not like he was trying to go to Daleville and somehow he went to Fincastle. Um, No, it's like he tried to go to Daleville and he ended up in Paint Bank or Newcastle. Some of you all are like, I have no clue where either of those are, okay? Um, That's that way and that way, okay? Completely opposite directions from one another. It wasn't just completely opposite directions from one another. In fact, Tarshish was one of the farthest known points at that, mo- at that day in that culture. It was one of the farthest known points out there. And so he doesn't just run. He tries to get away from God completely. And why does he do it? Well, because he wants to see the Ninevites killed. He wants to see them wiped out. Jonah was a racist. He was. It's always been around. Jonah was a stereotypical racist. I want every single person from that nationality to die. And he had an intention. His intention and the reason for his heart was this. The Ninevites had done extreme, extreme harm to the people of Israel and to others in that day and age. They were a very barbaric people. If you do some study on them, they did some really crazy things to humanity. And so in part... Jonah's anger is partially starting out as righteous. But what happens? It turns into a proud, racist attitude that continues on to where it doesn't just become anger, it becomes hate. I want you to die, right? 
Hatred is literally anger uncontrolled to the point of being willing to see someone die. And Jonah hates the Ninevites. So Jonah gets on this ship, boom, storm happens, all the people are going crazy, what's going on? He gets brought up on deck, they question him, and then Jonah kind of almost gets viewed as a hero here. He gets thrown across the ship into the sea to save everybody's life, but let me tell you, Jonah was not a hero in that moment, he was a zero, because he did not jump off to save everybody's life, he was thrown off out of a rebellious act towards God. Read the text, read the story later, you will find Jonah gave his last ditch effort to rebel against God by saying, I will die before I give up and ever go to Nineveh. I would rather be a dead man than follow your will. He gets put in the belly of a fish, maybe a whale, who knows, jury's still out. Probably a whale, so I I mean, like, it's the only big fish that we could think of, but uh, it's a great fish, and so he's in the belly of this fish, and what happens? He's kind of like, man, I'm not down with being in the belly of a fish for a while here. I think I'm going to pray to God. So he does pray to God, but Jonah deals with the fruit, not the root. He's still proud, he's still a racist, he still doesn't want to do what God wants him to do, but he's like, I want to get out of here, so I'm going to submit a little, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do, and he's going to kill him anyway, so it's going to be okay. Like, the end result of what I want to happen is going to happen, so it's going to be fine. So then, he goes to Nineveh, he tells them of the impending judgment, and what do the Ninevites do? What do they do? They repent. Now, Jonah did not count for this in his calculations when he was in the belly of the great fish, and he becomes angry. But let me tell you this right now, that anger in Jonah's heart that he experienced at that moment was founded in unrighteous behaviors and attitudes that had existed long before that. And the anger that he probably started out feeling in a righteous way, these people are killing my countrymen. That, that would make somebody angry. Okay, yeah, that's angering. Turned into a chronic hatred that was sinful, and the anger that he experienced against the Ninevites in this story today was founded upon that fleshly, sinful foundation. Just like on a house, if the foundation is bad, the structure's bad, If the foundation of your anger is fleshly, your anger is going to be toxic and fleshly and sinful. So, no, Jonah, it was not good that he was angry. He should have answered no, just based on the fact that the foundation of his anger was sinful. What produces your anger? What's your anger founded on? So, Stephen, so-and-so hurt me in, the way, in a way that you could never understand. That's probably true. I probably never could understand all the hurts that are wrapped up in this room. Because everybody's hurt is different and everybody's story is different. However, were you angry about that happening to you? Or are you now angry because you hate them and you want that person to die? That's still hatred. That's still wrong according to the Bible. If the foundation of our anger is off, the anger that we experience will be fleshly. 
Anger's an emotion, man. We're going to experience it, but the foundation of it must be based upon God, his righteousness, and the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Jonah's foundation of his anger was faulty, and so his anger was faulty as well. But secondly, we ask ourselves this question, not just what is the foundation of my anger, what is the fuel of my anger? What fuels it? Jonah's fuel for his anger is very similar to his foundation, but it's his pride. He dislikes what God does, and that just lights his fire, man. That just fuels it up. You can read the whole story. Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And then they drop down, and God and Jonah get into this, like, story where Jonah pulls away, a plant grows up, God strikes the plant, Jonah gets angry again, God asks him a philosophical question about his anger to try and prove a point, right? And we see here, though, that Jonah's anger is all fueled by what? Me. Himself. Jonah was using the APA's definition of anger, the American Psychological Society or Association's definition of anger, which was an emotion characterized by antagonism towards someone or something that, feel, that you feel has deliberately done you wrong. It's all about me. It's fueled by me. And Jonah was not okay with God being God, and he said, no, I'm not good with that. I'm going to run away. I, I don't even want to live anymore. Just take my life. Jonah got completely off track here. Why? Because of his pride. His pride fueled his anger. And let me say this, trying to take care of the fruit of anger without taking care of the fuel of pride is literally impossible and it's not going to work. You're just going to be cutting off the fruit of anger. Oh man, I got angry today. I need to stop. Okay, I stopped. Oh, I got angry again. Why are you getting angry? Find the fuel. Is it your pride? If so, humble yourself before God. I remember when I was about 12 years old, uh, I had a friend of mine over to the house where I grew up out in Bedford County. And uh, out there, we had this big burn pit. Uh, It's a hole in the ground. We would throw stuff in it if we wanted to burn it, and we would burn it. Um, It was pretty simple. Uh, It was actually really awesome. And uh, so my dad was like, hey, trash is building up here. Can you take the trash up, light it on fire, burn it, and keep an eye on it? Um, so grabbed my friend and I was like, Hey dude, we need to take the trash up there. So we loaded it, I think in the tractor or on a four wheeler. Can't really remember. We did it in something, who knows? And we took it up there, dumped it in, lit it on fire. And then we had to take back one of the containers. And I should have thought ahead and been like, we should just wait and see what happens. Right. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave my friend. And so he can take care of it. So I was like, Hey man, you stay here. I'm running back down to this building down here to put up the container. I'll be back, okay? What could go wrong? As I'm driving away, I see the tree leaves moving with a a brisk wind. And I was like, it'll be fine. He's got it. We're all good. So I drive off. I get down to the office building to put up this container. And uh, all of a sudden, about two minutes later, 
out of nowhere, my friend is racing down the hill screaming. And I was like, okay, this is not good. Like, who knows what happens? And he's like, the field's on fire, the field's on fire. And I was like, okay, he's probably being dramatic because like I would see it because I can see part of the field. So I drove up and he was not wrong. The, the um, field truly was on fire. The fire had gotten out of the burn pit, and it was uh, engulfing everything around the burn pit. And the problem was, there was a row of trees not about, like, 40 feet away from the burn pit, 50 feet away. And if the fire got into them, like, it's all over, right? And so I was like, okay, here's the deal. Let's just stamp it out, right? Makes sense. It's on grass. It's field. So we start uh, dancing and flat-footing around, right, trying to stomp this, uh, this out. And then we come to part of it that... I wasn't thinking about. You see, out near the burn pile, there was a place where we would change the oil on all of our vehicles. And we would store oil to start fires if we ever needed to get brush going when it's green or and it wouldn't burn and just to get it rolling. The fire had gotten into this trove of oil and now we have like an uncontrollable oil fire, which is like, you can't stamp that out. It just keeps burning. And so I looked at my friend. I was like, hey, man, you keep flat footing here and like stamping around. I'm going to go get tools. I'll be back. So I hop on the four-wheeler, race off. And in my mind, I'm like pretending I'm a fireman right now, right? Because like 12-year-old me, like I have sirens in the back of my head. And I'm like, man, I wish I had a radio right now because I'm like feeling really cool, right? So I like drive down, get to the shed, get rakes and shovels, throw them on. And I race back hop off, and I look at him, and I'm like, dude, what do we do? And so we started trying to rake it. Still wouldn't go out. And then it dawned on me. What are the two things that fire needs? Oxygen and fuel. So there's this dirt pile over here. So in theory, if I take away the oxygen and I smother the fuel, fire will go away, right? So we start shoveling as fast as we can. And by this time, it's burned like a quarter of the field. And we finally get the oil fire out. And then we just step back and just admire this black charred field. And I think, I wonder how I'm going to explain this one to my dad when he gets home uh, later this afternoon. This is going to be an exciting one, right? Now, that story highlights the importance of taking fuel away from a fire. The definition of anger that the Bible uses, it literally means to burn. It's this idea of a picture of a fire. And when the anger that you feel, the emotion of anger is burning strong, is the fuel, what is fueling it, is the fuel fleshly? Is it about you or is it because someone is violating God's word? Is it because your feelings are hurt or because someone is hurting someone else that you are seeking to protect. You say, so you're saying that I can never be angry if somebody does something to me that's hurtful? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you will feel anger in those moments. But the chronic anger that turns into hatred and is fueled by pride is a fleshly anger. And Jonah suffered from a fleshly chronic type of anger that turned into hate and that literally almost ruined his entire life. And if Jonah had had it his way, his anger would have ruined the lives of 120,000 people. That's pretty big stakes. The first question is, what is the foundation of your anger? The second question is, what is the fuel of your anger? But the third question is, what is the fruit of your anger? 
Jonah's anger results in him pulling away from God's will. I'm out. I'm leaving the city. He desired death. You can just take my life. I'm going to leave. The fruit of Jonah's anger, if it had not been for God's grace, would have been 120,000 people losing their lives. That's some pretty bad fruit. And bad fruit shows a bad root. So if the fruit of your anger and my anger is fleshly, guess what? The anger's fleshly. Just like if the fuel of my anger is fleshly, the anger's fleshly. If the foundation of my anger is fleshly, the anger's fleshly. You say, so you're saying that I can be angry about something like maybe, and I can be anger like be angry over something that's righteous and it can turn into something that is fleshly and then the fruit can become fleshly? Yes. Jonah's anger in the beginning, I truly believe when he was angry, he, he was experiencing the true emotion of anger, the God-given one. But somewhere along the line, his anger turned into fleshly anger and it produced terrible fruit. In Jonah 4, 6 through 11, you see a story there that God tries to teach Jonah the importance of life. Jonah 4.3, Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and set to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head. To save him from his discomfort, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. How cool is that, that God can appoint a worm? Like, what in the world? Like, what does that even look like, right? But God said to Jonah, um, excuse me, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die again and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. Sounds a little bit uh, like his anger is messing with his head, doesn't it? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you do not labor, nor do you make it grow, which came uh, into being in the night and perished in the night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. God tried to teach Jonah an important lesson there. And it ends on a cliffhanger, right? Like, what happens? Like, we want to know, right? What happens? God wanted to teach Jonah that his anger that he was experiencing, it was not good. It was not good for Jonah to be angry. Jonah's anger was built on a poor foundation, fueled by fleshly prideful desire, and the fruit of it, was disastrous in Jonah's life. He ended up so discouraged and depressed that he was asking for the Lord to kill him and take his life. That's pretty rotten fruit. And God tried to teach Jonah, he said, hey man, like look, you're worried about a plant when there's lives at stake. I'm thinking on a completely different plane than you, Jonah. I can send a worm to destroy a plant. I can make a plant grow. I don't think you get the picture here. I'm in control is what God is saying to Jonah. And he says, shouldn't you be more concerned for the loss of life than the loss of a plant? Now, 
I think that God is asking Jonah a specific question there, but I think that we can apply that question to our lives. When we're angry, shouldn't we be more concerned about the consequences that that anger is going to have on us, on those around us? Shouldn't we be more concerned about like how it's going to affect us and tear us down than getting revenge? Shouldn't we be more concerned about if we're bitter, <laughs> the life of those we're bitter at, than getting our agenda passed or done? You see, anger and pride are closely related, and in order to take out one, you need to take out the other. You say, so how do I deal with anger then? Those are great. Great questions. Awesome. Uh, I get it. We, we looked at the story of Jonah. Cool. I have fleshly anger. I get it. What do I do? Oddly enough, we've referenced Galatians 5 a couple of times over the past couple of weeks, and oddly enough, it literally talks about it right in the passage that we've been talking about. You don't believe me? Go over to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not do what sin in the flesh wants to do if you keep in step with the Spirit of God. You follow after God's spirit, you walk in his power, you do what he says, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's what it's saying. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Here's some things that are going to sound familiar. Enmity. Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. Here's how to tell if you're walking in the Spirit. Here's how to tell if the Spirit is in control of your life because he's going to put this fruit into your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You want to know how to deal with anger? Notice even there it doesn't say anger. It says fits of anger. Uncontrollable anger. And then the other things that it mentioned, dissension, strive, enmity, all those are when anger is used in a negative way, right? It's talking about the negative type of anger that produces fleshly results, sin. So how do you deal with fleshly anger? How do you even just deal with anger as an emotion and not let it get so uncontrollable that it turns into that? This I say, walk in the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit of God. Ask the spirit of God to literally fill you up and submit your life to his spirit. That means walk according to what God's word says. Do what you know to do according to God's word. Ask for strength from the spirit. And here's why. Because if we belong to Christ Jesus, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that means when so-and-so hurts me, yeah, it might anger me for a season, but if I am keeping in step with the Spirit, the anger will dissipate because who am I more concerned about? 
Me or God? God. Because guess what? Stephen got crucified with Jesus over 2,000 years ago, and my desires, my passions, my, my life, it's not my own. That's Romans 6, by the way. Nothing that I have is my own anymore because I've given everything over to God. You say, Stephen, I don't know if I've done that. Well, then, could I gently um, ask you, are you truly a Christian then? Because literally, that's what the Bible says becoming a Christian is. It's not like this little dream world where we believe in Jesus and then everything works out and we get to go to heaven and I get to do everything that I want to do. No, the Bible is very contradictory to the flesh and to that. It says, if you want to follow after Jesus, give up everything that you have, everything that you are, turn it over to him, submit to him, believe in him for salvation and forgiveness from your sins, and then follow after him with complete, with, without any restrictions, any restraints, with complete abandon. That's the gospel. So when I'm consumed with the gospel and I'm walking in the spirit, I think that the anger, the emotion of anger can be a controllable emotion that fits right in to my daily life that is controlled not by always me, but by the spirit of God who lives inside of me. As Paul would say, so let's go this week and walk in the spirit. Are you angry? Okay. Galatians 5, man. Turn your life over to Christ if you've never done it, and then walk in the Spirit if you've already done that. You say, that sounds too simple. Sometimes the fix is simple. Now you say, Stephen, I'm so, I've been so consumed with rage and anger for years. Well, that's, that's a little different, right? In situations like that, it's working towards forgiveness because we're forgiven. They don't deserve forgiveness. They probably don't, and neither do we. But we have to work towards forgiveness. Why? Because literally, Jesus has forgiven us of every single thing that we have ever done if we ask him for salvation and trust in his name. I don't know about you, but I got a long list of things that Jesus had to forgive me of. So if he could forgive me of all that, as atrocious as that person's hurtful act was to me, and let me tell you, in a room this big, there's probably a long list of atrocious acts that have been done to individuals in this room. In no way does forgiving them minimize what happened to you, but it maximizes the grace of God that's flowing through your life. So today, let's go forward here, from here this week, seeking to live spirit-controlled lives. And this week, when you get angry... Ask yourself that question. Is it good that I'm angry? And many times, if you're like me, guess what? It's probably not. Because <laughs> you want to know what happens when I ask myself that question and I work through those three questions and think through it a little bit? I'm like, man, I got to confess this now because my, my anger is not good. It's fleshly. It's sinful. So I'd encourage you with that this morning. Let's pray and bow our heads this morning. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, we thank you for everything that you have given to us. You literally have given us everything. You gave us your son who's forgiven us of all. And Lord, we're free. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are free. So that means, Lord, this morning we can be free from anger. 
If there are those here, Lord, this morning who are struggling with hurt and anger, Lord, that has consumed their lives for years and it's literally weighing them down and it's, it's literally like a weight on their souls and their life, Lord, they can find freedom this morning. So we pray, Lord, freedom in the name of Jesus for those, Lord, who trust in you. If you're here this morning, you say, Stephen, you know, I kind of get what you were talking about, about that anger and it being uncontrolled and fleshly. And I think, I think after seeing Jonah's story and seeing his anger, there might be some things that I need to work through uh, this morning and confess some types of anger that I've allowed in my life. Is there anybody here who would just say, you know what, I need to deal with some anger this morning. Anyone like that? Hey, maybe you're here and you say, man, I've never even given my life over to Christ. Like you were talking about that. And that's just like, what does that even mean to be saved? Like I thought it was something completely different. I would encourage you in just a second, we're going to sing a chorus from a song and I would encourage you during that time, you can come right down front here and you can, um, you can ask me and I would love to get somebody to share with you what it means from God's word, how you can truly know Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those here this morning, Lord, who said, man, there's some anger that I need to deal with. Lord, I pray that they would, they would confess when their anger became fleshly and then, Lord, that they would walk forward seeking, to, seeking self-control through the spirit of God, Lord, as they deal with the emotion of anger in their life. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for all your goodness and in Jesus' name, amen.